Hello and welcome to the Chili Dog Strings podcast. I'm Neil Fongilfillan. And I'm Rachel Sampson. Thank you for joining us as we open up new conversations in the world of music education. Hello, Chili Dog Strings listeners. Welcome to today's podcast where we have dear friend and extremely amazing cellist Horacio Contreras with us. Hi, Horacio. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for being here. (laughs) I'm so glad. I mean, I'm so glad. I'm so glad to share with you here. We are too. Uh, For those of you who don't know Horacio, he is just, he is one of the greatest human beings I've ever known in my life. He is just really just a joy to be around and truth. Yeah. Just a a wellspring of experience and um, I don't know, just like, great person yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you yeah we're glad you're like here the sun is beaming out of my face as i think about describing the greatness that is horacio oh. so, <laughs> so um horacio is cello faculty on cello faculty uh at lawrence university and the music institute of chicago uh, and the recent author of the adaptation of Roland Famous's exercises in various combinations of double stops. Here is the violin version. And here is Horacio's book. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, he's also a member of the new music group, the Chemia Ensemble which was formed in Michigan, which is where Horacio and I and Neil and Horacio met. That's right. Uh, Yeah. And we played together for a little bit and just formed a fast friendship. Horacio is a student who came out of Venezuela's educational phenomenon, El Sistema, right? Yes. Um, And I'd love to hear more about that later in the episode. And he has also studied, in addition to in the U.S., he's also studied in France and Spain. Uh, so, just all around the world, here comes Horacio. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about yourself, Horacio? Well, you know, I first of all that I, I also love you guys. I I, I think you you you're. you're phenomen, uh, a phenomenon of, of humanity. I mean, you're like really. Great, and I, I am so glad uh, that I met you both in Ann Arbor. And yes, I mean, speaking with you both is always a pleasure, and uh, it's an honor for me to be sharing this podcast with you. It's, it's a true honor. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you said a lot. I, I am, I am from Venezuela, and I started at El Sistema. I would add uh, to that that one of the things that one of the values of a system is teaching, which is a, I think something very special uh, that is a little bit different than other places where I have been. Uh, is that uh, that's a program that is for free, uh, and uh, but you're supposed to give back what you learn, and one of the main ways you do it is by teaching your peers or your like your younger peers. So you there, there's a true interest in teaching uh, since you're very young, and, and there's a lot of uh, 
capacitation going on. There's a lot of like workshops and everything for younger teachers, and I was fortunate to participate in these kind of things. Uh, I, I started teaching when I was 16 years old, and I have done it, you know, almost ever since. I stopped like for two years when I was in Europe, but I, I also taught there some students and. Uh, I feel that's distinctive. That may, uh, I feel that in, in other places where I have been, musical training is a lot about learning how to play very well first. And then once you know how to play very well, then you think about what you're doing with your life, whether you're going into performance, whether you're going into teaching, what, like, if you're going into administration or whatever you want. But in Venezuela, in the system, teaching is an integral part of the identity of a musician, uh, younger, older, whoever that knows how to play an instrument uh, in a decent level, you know, that knows around, like you can play proper etudes or like, you know, don't, then you can already teach uh, younger students. And then you're, you're already learning on how to set up a, a beginner, when you're that uh, young and, and at that level of development, and I think you develop fast as a teacher too. And you develop a relationship with teaching that is not, it's, it's an integral part of your relationship with music, if that makes sense. It's, it's something that is not performance or teaching or <coughs> this, but it's like you are you're a musician, then you teach. Basically, <laughs> it's like uh, it's a part of our identity. I feel, and uh, yeah, uh, after that, I have been in, 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 in at several places. I have had the great luck of meeting great teachers in my life, very inspiring uh, people, and also having great classmates, uh, as, as you were, Rachel, from who I, I learned a lot from, not only from my teachers, but from my peers. Uh, and here I am. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm now in Wisconsin, in Appleton, uh, an unlikely place for a Venezuelan to be. <laughs> <laughs> but here's where life brought me, and I, I'm very grateful for that. I'm trying to help my students to grow. Yes. In El Sistema, is starting around that age and working with younger students and passing it on, helping other students, is that common to start that around that age, around 16? That is common, yes. Uh, you start teaching as soon as you know how to play decently, as soon as you know your way around the instrument. And I developed early. I mean, I, I was a late starter. I started at 13. Mm. But I developed fast. At 16, I already could play. Uh, I was playing, uh, I don't know, Lalo, something like that, at that age. And then I, yeah, I, I started teaching, and I, that's very common. I was just, um, uh, two hours ago, I was coaching my niece's teacher. My niece is in Venezuela, and her teacher is 21. And uh, I was I was skyping with them and, and coaching here, uh, and that's what we do there. I mean, we when I was 
older when I came back from Europe. I, I from Europe I came back to Venezuela and I had uh, was in charge of a branch of the National Academy of Cello that covered three states: um, Merida, Táchira, and Trujillo. And I had uh, a number of students, the more advanced students in those in those states. And in turn, they, they were teachers in their own places, in their own communities. So I, I taught them how to play, but I also taught them how to teach. So I would, I would go attend their lessons and, and see how they taught and coach them. And uh, also, like, I would do gatherings where I would teach a younger student, show them how to set up a beginner, how to teach a person how to grab the ball, how to go around, you know, string crossings, like things that deal with your setup uh, so that I, I was sure that I was monitoring that everything was going right. I would give them ideas and tell them how to use them. So that was a lot of fun, yes. I think that's really fantastic. I think a lot of American teachers that I hear talking about their experience of teaching is that as uh, as they develop as teachers, they realize, wow, I really, I knew I knew how to play that, but I wasn't really sure how to teach it. And it sounds like um, El Sistema really offers and facilitates an organic access to totally, completely, uh, from many angles, understanding how it is that performers are producing what they're producing. So um, I don't know, it's kind of like that phenomenon of if you understand a phrase, you'll be able to produce it through singing. Sort of that whole, it's a well-rounded Yeah, well, it seems to me that, that having that access to really explain what you do and why you do it at a young age can really help your playing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah and great. also figure out what you want to do and everything. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I love that. Um, so the timing is perfect because <laughs> recently with all you've been doing and traveling and where you've been and where you've been teaching, I know this book came out. So, <laughs> yeah, t tell everybody a little bit about this book. Well, you know, there was... Uh, uh, an, I, I, an idea of... Uh, my mentor at Michigan, Professor Richard Aron. I, when I came to Michigan, I knew that I was going to study with him, and I was very excited because I knew the reputation he had as a teacher. And uh, because I was an older student, of course, I wanted to learn from him how to um, how to play, of course, like to to see what was his perspective. And improve, but I also was very interested in, in 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 seeing how he taught and what was what were his ideas and what was his method. I spoke a lot with him about teaching and about his methods and about my own ideas. And then I got into teaching in, in, at the String Preparatory Academy of the university that I started when I was a doctoral student there, and. Uh, uh, I had some students uh, with whom I worked, and he would give master classes for the academy. So he was exposed to my work as well, and I could see him teach my students. And there was a lot of interchange of ideas about how 
teaching and what ideas you have. And then he heard about this project and he told me, you know, you should you should do this. Uh, there's this opportunity and I feel that this would be great for you. You would be perfect for this project. And why don't you examine the book and why don't you like see if you can come up with ideas? And uh, that's what I did. I mean, I started doing the book. Of course, I, I ran my ideas through him. And it was wonderful. It was a great process. I learned so much from just, uh, you know, studying uh, Mr. Bamos's book and, and just thinking about what were the ideas behind his exercises, behind the organization, behind the way it's like set up on the page even, or how how it starts, why is it in C major, why why starting on A and the, on the a and these things, all of those things uh, were very interesting and uh, also like just figuring out a way for me to put those ideas into cello because of our more limited range and uh, the, the way our hand works, which is very different from violin, and examining how other, you know, cello uh, uh, teachers and legends I studied a lot of the books of Feuillard, uh, the Orlando Cole versions of the Chechik. I, I saw how Cosman would work. So I, I kind of thought about how those books were organized and uh, how were they different from Mr. Bamos's and or how were they similar. And all of that process was very helpful for me to understand many things and uh, that's how I came up with the organization that I and the changes that I had to make on the on Mr. Vemos's work. So what I found uh, when I spoke with Mr. Vemos about how, why his book was so repetitive, why 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 putting you know like twenty pages of the same just basically in different positions and different strings, right? He said something that was so clear, you know, that's one of the things that I find with people that is very smart, that they see things that are very clear, but that nobody sees. <laughs> and he said, you know, because if you have a young student and you tell them, do it in everything, in every position, they won't do it. If you show them in the page, you have to do, you have to do page 15, they will do it. You know, showing them so, what to do, not telling them what to do, not telling them what to do. I mean, not abstraction. Uh, abstraction is too hard for, for a certain age. I, I would say something concrete and, and clear is, is, is it's easier for, for younger students to follow. And in that in that sense, also the the chromatic uh, layout of the foyer versus the uh, the, the tonality on the Chechik or Mr. Bemos's book is a, is a very uh, important difference because when you have the, the tonality, you have, it makes sense for your ear. I try to keep Mr. Bemos's idea of, of tonality and or, of a more uh, concrete way of organizing the book by preserving uh, a tonality, uh, a C major tonality in the first, note of the top voice of every exercise. 
so that it would be melodically, it would, it would follow a, a scale, mm. basically, melodically. And then I associated that with the idea of position, which is something that he has. He has, like, in every position, it's like he has double stops in one uh, first to seventh position. So I, I, I associated that with the idea of position uh, by following Friar's system of positions. And it, it, it's, it's chromatic, but at the same time, it's organized by position, and it has that scale in the top note that I hope it makes it easier for younger students to understand. What is the earliest age? What is the earliest level that students can start taking on the exercises in this book? Well, you know, that, that's depending on the approach that you take. I do... I. I like to do double stops with my younger students. I, I use that double stop book by Rick Mooney a lot. Uh, and I start doing, and I have like some warm-ups. I, 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 send, I send those warm-ups to you, Neil. So I have yes. some warm-ups that I start teaching them when they are very young, when they are like in Suzuki book, finishing book two, I would say. I, I start them on double stops like that. And then I start them on Rick Mooney's book, little by little. So you, you can, if they are skilled in double stop playing by, by the moment they hit like book five or six, then you can start, certainly. What do you think are the biggest benefits for a student to practice, to practice double stops? There are many. Ear training is one of the more, you know, the, the more straightforward. Uh, just to hear how a pitch is in tune as related to another pitch. That that's one of the basic skills that we have to nurture. It's like intonation is not doesn't exist without two pitches. <laughs> I mean, the, yes. the intonation starts when two pitches are present because the intonation is a relationship between two pitches. Another thing that I think is important is the bow. I think uh, one of the things where, that I have seen that uh, beginners and, uh, you know, intermediate beginners uh, struggle with is to have a steady angle of the bow. Mm. They bow. Their bow goes kind of like this all the time. They don't have a steady line. They yes. don't have a steady line. So double stops give you feedback about how consistent are you in, in, in the angle of your bow, talking about the bow on the string, not about the straight bow with the, the angle that it makes with the bridge. And also the, how strong your hand is. So you, you, you build a stronger hand when you do a lot of double stops. So those are... I, I, I do double stops every day, and uh, I, I find them very helpful, and I, I, I torture my students so that they do it, too. <laughs> I wanted to amend my, or add to my inarticulate reaction earlier to uh, your experience of El Sistema, and I guess what I'm really struck with is... Uh, what kind of possibilities that opens up in terms of building a community inside of the music world, you know, in Venezuela, but probably all over the world. I think uh, El Sistema is, is great because as a teacher and as a student, you, you, you are a little bit more close to your 
models, you can depict role models from the place you are until, you know, the greatest conductor or the greatest basis, you know. Uh, we have Eric Solvrys who got into Berlin Field at 17, or we have Dudamel, or we have those great performers that uh, had the same experience as every child that is going to school there now. I feel, uh, especially for younger students, easier to get connected to what they do, which is something that I, I think is one of the hardest things for 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 a teacher to have a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old uh, get connected to what they do. Yeah. Yes, and one of the most important things. Yeah. People has to find something that they are excited with and that is linked to the instrument or like try to link things that make them excited and and the instrument and what they are doing with the instrument. I feel that uh, just uh, make the instrument a significant part of your life, uh, not only something that is, you know, you're, you're supposed to practice. <laughs> but something that excites you because of the, you know, the friends you have that play the same instrument or because of that amazing video that you, you love see, watching uh, or because of that amazing, you know, like uh, pop group that uses cello or because of, you know, Silk Road, you're so into world music and they have a cello and, you know, gives you something that where you can feel... Uh, and eagerness to learn. Uh, I think that's that's the main thing that people have to find. Awesome. What is that for you? I I am in love with cello. I, I think since I was like around 17, <laughs> I feel I love the sound. I love the sound. I, I, I love practice. You know, like I think uh, meditation Practicing is like meditating for me. Uh, practicing for me is something that gets me off my daily mundane life and uh, gets me connected with who I am and who I have been all of these years. And just practicing the same scale every day, practicing some double stops and sitting and playing slows is something that is... Uh, very fulfilling and it's very, you know, relieving for, for, for me. And I think it gets, it gets me connected with myself. You find your center. I do, yeah. yes. Oh, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> it is beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Is there anything else you want to add? Yes. Um, one thing that makes this podcast special is we ask the really important questions. We go right to it. So I have a list of, of four questions that I want to ask you before we're done. Are you, sure, sure. Okay, here we go. These are going to be fast. Are you ready? Okay, then fast and me is not something <laughs> that together. Okay, here we go. What do you prefer, a rock stop or a strap? Strap. Okay, what is your favorite kind of rosin? Larsen. If you had to pick, would you use a steel end pin or a carbon fiber end pin? Carbon fiber. 
Would you rather eat a sandwich or an arepa? Arepa, of course. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> those, are, those are the last questions we had today. All right. So thank you all for joining us for this episode of Chili Dog Strings Podcast. And Horacio, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. And thank you for uh, your generosity and your sharing. And uh, we got a lot out of it. So thank you for this conversation. Oh, no, thank you, guys. And, you know, every time is a pleasure to share with you. So anytime you want. Hey, everybody, it's Neil and Rachel. Hello. We want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode and also let you know that we are just getting this podcast started. If you haven't yet, we'd love for you to leave us a rating on iTunes and let people know what you think. We welcome your feedback and thanks for your generosity. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye.